Okay, so we're up to the last, the very last part of uh, chapter one in Tanya. <coughs> we're in the middle of talking about <coughs> the first nefesh, the first soul uh, that, uh, that a Jew has within him. Um, okay, so before we continue, I would just like to um, kind of going on the theme that we started off these classes that... In general, the Tanya is a substitute for Yechidus, for a private audience with the Alter Rebbe. So Jews that are seeking you know, guidance in the service of God, they would flock to the Yajna, later on to the Yadi. Um, at the time that the Tanya was written, the headquarters of Chabad was in a city called the Yajna. People would come, they would come in the thousands. And at one point, the Alter Rebbe, uh, he, he published the book of Tanya, and in the introduction he says that in this book you're going to find all the answers to all your questions in the service of God. So just, just look over here and you're going to find it. So uh, we'd like to go through you know, every class kind of identifying what, what is the possible question that's being answered here. Obviously it's not the only type of question, it's not the only way to apply uh, the content to any specific question that someone may have, but I think it would be an interesting exercise. So um, what I think... And uh, it's based on, uh, you know, commentaries on the Tanya. What I think is the main thrust of the first chapter is essentially the Alter Rebbe um, proving why someone needs Hasidus, why every single Jew will benefit from learning Hasidus and, and, you know, receiving guidance from the Alter Rebbe. The very first question that comes up is, uh, Rebbe, prove to me that I need you in the first place. In other words, why... Why should I even be here? Why should I even seek counsel by the Rebbe? Um, also, uh, you know, the name of the book was quite, uh, I say, it's quite ambitious. To call a book Sefer Shalbanim, the book of the, inter- like of, the, of the average, the average guy. And I don't want to be average. If I'm already taking a book, I'm already getting self-help. I want to have a great life. I want to be excellent. I want to excel, Right. If you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna make a book that's going to sell well, you're gonna say, you know, I don't know, the best tips for having an amazing life. Uh, and if you're, and if you're selling a book that uh, is in order to help Jews excel in the service of God, you should probably call it the Sefer of Tzaddikim, the book of the of the righteous. By the way, the Rebbe did write, the Alter Rebbe did write a book called Sefer Shel Tzaddikim, just like you wrote a book Sefer Shel Benanim, Sefer of the of the intermediate, of the average. He also wrote um, the Sefer of uh, of the Benin, uh, of Tzadikim. However, the manuscript uh, was burned. It, it, it got lost in a fire. Unfortunately, there were quite a few fires in those days in the shtetls, and uh, quite quite a few of uh, the Hasidic manuscripts and many manuscripts of the Alter Rebbe's writings were lost uh, forever. That you know includes the Shulchan Aruch. Much of the Code of Jewish Law was lost. Um, so, in addition, the Sefer of Tzadikim was lost. So, what is the purpose of Sefer Shalbeinim? And uh, we explained the last week at length that, uh, in reality, after the Altarev explains at the beginning of chapter 1 what a Bainini really is, uh, that, you know, a Bainini is not a person that has half sins and half mitzvahs. But in fact, we're talking about a person who is perfect in their behavior. They've done all the mitzvahs. They, uh, they don't even waste one moment uh, from studying Torah. So right away at the, at the very beginning, the Alter Rebbe kind of lays out the idea that uh, everyone should be flocking to opening up a Sefer Shalbenanim, the book of the intermediate, the book of the average, uh, 
And the point is that even the average person is able to excel and to achieve great greatness in the service of God. Um, I want to elaborate on that just a little bit because this will allow us to understand this next point, that Alter, the final point that Alter is going to make in the first chapter. What does it mean to excel in the service of God? We've already pointed out that just becoming a master in uh, the code of Jewish law, that itself does not make a person uh, a servant of God. You're just doing what you have to do. Obviously, if you don't have that, then you're for sure not a servant of God. But keeping the code of Jewish law, that's just, just the bare basics. What is, what is the purpose of life? What, what, is, what is the whole idea of being a servant of God, to serve God? That is to infuse everything that you do with a true divine feeling, a real feeling of closeness to God. It's about developing a relationship with God. Now, that's much harder than you can imagine. What I mean by that? The Atrebe says, it's very close to you. Yes, it's close to you. It's something that is achievable. But the definition of living life where every single thing that we do is premised on our relationship with God. And the fact that we have, and, and that there's a divine feeling in everything that we do, that's a very, very high bar. It's a very high bar. And if someone achieves that, they're not even a tzaddik yet. And that's fine. Because as the Alter Rebbe is going to prove over the next few chapters, the level of tzaddik is a different species. You have to start, um, how you say, realizing, you know, the world is made of many different species. You have the inanimate, you have the you know, plant life, you have animal life. Within animals, by the way, there are many different species of animals. Right? You've got a fly. As soon as the fly is born, the fly knows everything that it needs to know about life. Everything. There's no such thing as fly school. There's no such thing as a parent fly teaching a baby fly. It could be that they make books out of it, but, but as soon as the baby fly is born, everything that it needs to know about life is there. It's, a, it's, it's automatic as a why, because the fly needs to do nothing else. It has to fly around and whatever, do, do its natural stuff, and that's it. The more sophisticated the species become, Things get a bit more, you know, more complicated, more difficult. And there's also like a training period, etc. Right? Um, so a fly knows how to fly immediately, right? But birds, birds, when they hatch, it takes a little bit, right? How does the mother teach the bird how to fly? Kicks them out of the nest. Kicks them out of the nest. That's it. And if it goes kerplunk, okay, next. It's That's the, I say, that's the price of doing business, right? Um, and that goes in every species in the animal kingdom. That, that's That's just the way it is. Then you have the human species, right? Humans and animals are very different species. And then, Alter is going to explain, within the human species, you have the Jewish nation. It's a different species. Within the Jewish nation itself, you have tzaddikim, whole different species. It's a different species. Um, what's interesting is, what's interesting, is that, um, so can, can, a, can a fly become a bird? No. Can a bird become, uh, you think maybe, huh? Can a bird become a rat? Can a rat become uh, a puppy? Can a puppy become a lion? What's interesting, can a lion become a human? No. How could someone who was born not Jewish become a Jew if it's a different species? And by the way, the Rebbe says it's actually miraculous. It's a miracle. God said in his Torah, he has this species called the Jewish people. 
And they have, they're obligated in 613 mitzvah differently than everyone else. And if someone wants to convert to the Jewish nation, they can. If they go according to a certain process, they will convert. And it's miraculous. It's like a spiritual species change. We'll see. That's a, of course, obviously the, 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 body, the body remains the same. Right. The bodies of Jews and the bodies of non-Jews are exactly the same. There's no difference between them. I mean, the reason I say is because, yeah. like you said, you can't compare. A lot of fly is not going to become a this. It's not going to become a lot. No, you're, you're right. Thing. Right, it's true. That's true. And the same way that from the, spe- the the human species to the Jewish species, there's like this miraculous jump from the Benini species to the Tzadik species. It's also this huge jump. That actually, you can't do. I think we yeah. spoke about it, Monica just mentioned, but at some point we read, we've read about that you get a new soul. Oh, exactly. The only way a person can become a tzaddik is if they behave in a certain way, and as a result, God is going to grant them a new soul. Boom. It's like very similar to when it comes to conversion. God says, if you're going to do this process, I'm going to grant you a new soul. Do we know some people in history that happened? That became tzaddikim? It's possible. I... Uh, it's not relevant to know exactly where a person is standing, whether it's a Benin or a Tzaddik. That's the truth. Although, um, there are, again, there are people that have been identified by the Rebbe's as a Tzaddik or as a Benini, and I don't know if they became Tzaddikim or if they were always Tzaddikim. I don't know. What about these people that converted, these great rabbis that converted? Was it Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva's father converted by Shmaya and Naftalion. Yeah, they all converted. So those people changed species. Of course. And became, Every convert. became, well, they're Tzaddiks, but Certainly, they probably became tzaddikim. They probably became tzaddikim. Also, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. Again, you have to you have to realize you have to you have to understand that the the jump here is something that's beyond our capacity. It's something beyond what we're able to do. So, what's Al Tareb is saying? Al Tareb is saying that you know what the Sefer Shabbatim is going to accomplish. It's that you, in your species, are going to achieve the greatest heights possible. This brings us to the final part of chapter 1. So in the second half of chapter 1, the Alter Rebbe uh, tells us that every person, every Jew has two souls. Okay. Now, what was the question that the Jew comes into the Alter Rebbe with? What's, what's his question? What I think the question is? It says, Rebbe, you know, I'm coming to you and asking for a, a pathway in the service of God. Honestly, I'm ashamed to walk in. Why? Because I'm attracted to pretty bad stuff. I'm attracted to a lot of sinful things. Who, who am I to serve God? Who am I to come to the Rebbe to ask for guidance in the service of God? So the Alta Rebbe says right away, take a big step back for a moment. You have to realize something. That within you, there are two different souls. Two different souls reside within you. Both of them are divine souls. And in fact, the first soul is the one that gives you life. And that's the reason why you're alive. That's your survival, your, your survival soul. And so I say, wow, so this must be my connection to God. No, not at all. In fact, this soul, this soul that gives you life, this soul that is in your blood, this soul which is the breath of life, is in fact from Klippa and Sitra Akhra. It's, it's from the other side. It's from the part that is contrary to God. That is the soul that gives you your feeling and your, and your self-awareness. That's the soul that makes you selfish. That's the soul that makes you self-absorbed. Just by the default fact that you're alive. In other words, what are the parameters here? 
The Alter Rebbe is saying is, we're not going to talk anymore about good and bad in, um, in the way we are used to, we're, the way we're, uh, you know, we're comfortable with saying, oh, this is a good person, this is a bad person. This person is good because he gives charity. This person is bad because he's stingy. This person is good because he saves lives. And this person is bad because he kills people, right? That's good and bad. No more. That's not going to be the language of the Tanya anymore. Good and bad is defined by transparently divine or self-absorbed, self-aware. Anything that has self-awareness other than God, that's already the, the other side. That's the opposite side. So the fact that there is a soul that is, that is animating a body of a person who can feel himself or herself as an independent entity, that's already klipa. That's already the other side. Does that mean by default that means that they're, that they're violating the Torah? Not at all. They're alive. Just by the fact that you're alive, you're already Klippa. Boom. Number two, this soul of Klippa, it's, it's not just the soul that makes you survive, brings you to life, etc. This is also the source for your entire psyche. And all of your natural traits that you have come from there. A baby cries when the baby's hungry, right? Did anyone teach the baby how to cry? No. No. The baby understands that intuitively. It's alive, it needs food, it cries. Does a fly, when it's born, cry for food? No. The fly goes and finds its food. It's done. It doesn't cry anymore, right? So are we going to think, oh, the baby is more primitive and therefore... Is it? No, no, this is just naturally how it works. The baby's born, the baby's hungry, baby cries. Done. The baby's selfish, wants food. Okay, so we explained that there are midah yisroes, there are negative character traits that come from this soul. Uh, anger, haughtiness, uh, frivolity, all these different things, kind of, you know, depression, all of that comes from this soul. Now, here comes an amazing question that a Jew can ask the Alter Rebbe. Say, Rebbe, look, I know that I'm a very good person. Why? You know, I'm part of Hatzala. You know what Hatzala is? Hatzala is a volunteer EMT service where people, for no pay or for anything, they have this radio on them, and they are called, and within a moment's notice, they drop everything, and they go, and they literally save lives. They save lives all the time. They don't get any pay. They don't get any recognition. Nothing. They're, they're, it's amazing. What more could be demanded from a person than to be so selflessly dedicated <coughs> to saving lives? <coughs> so you know what the Alter answers him? It's very nice. But, but let me explain something to you. That's natural. That's a natural instinct that you have inside your psyche. Let's continue here on um, on page six of the Red Book. So from this soul stems also. You with me on, on page on page six? On the first, on, it's um, second, third line, third line from the top. From this soul stems also the good characteristics which are to be found in the innate nature of all Israel, such as mercy and benevolence. 
This is something that comes naturally to the animal soul of the Jewish people. Now, what is he, what is he referring to? He's referring to a, a story that's recorded in the Talmud. Now, the story is, is it's, a, it's a long and complicated story. I don't want to get into it because if I get into all of the details of the story, you're going to walk away with more questions than answers. So I'm going to save myself time, say this story a bit shorter. You'll have many more questions than answers, but I want to get to the point. Okay, how's that? So when the Jewish people came to the land of Israel, they started to conquer the land. They were led by Yahushua. Joshua was the leader. And if you look in the book of Joshua, chapter 9, there's a very strange story, if you ask me. It's a very strange story. There is a, a group <clears throat> of uh, Canaanites that were called the Givonim. They came from a place called Givon. And uh, they, they, they were under the impression that if they are going to, how do you say, raise the white flag, if they're going to submit themselves to the Jewish people, they're going to be wiped out anyway. So they came up with a plan. They disguised themselves as travelers from a very faraway country. And they came to the Jewish camp and they, offered the, they, and they said that they want to convert. They want to convert to Judaism. They want to just submit themselves to the Jewish people. And they had a whole interesting negotiation with Joshua. And Joshua accepted them. And okay, so now they converted. But then it was then they discovered that these people were not you know, some, some travelers from some foreign country. They were actually Canaanites. And there is a prohibition in the Torah to make any type of treaty with the Canaanites if they remain in the land of Canaan. So it became a whole crisis. Many of the elders wanted to uh, kill the Givonites because of their treachery, because you know they had fooled them. Joshua decided against it. However, he decreed that this group of people, they're going to be Nesinim. Nesinim, huh? Serfs. Yeah, not slaves, mamish. Not, they're Jews. However, their place in society from then on is going to be woodchoppers and water carriers for the Holy Temple. In other words, that's going to be their obligation. They have to live within the proximity wherever the Holy Temple is. Then it was the tabernacle, the Mishkan. They have to live within proximity of the, of the Mishkan or the, tab- or the Holy Temple. And they're going to have to serve um, the Kayanim. They're going to have to basically provide all of the basic bare necessities for the Kayanim. That's going to be their job. They're going to be the serfs. Nesinim. All right. 300 years passed. Um, we come to uh, more. 350 years passed. And uh, King David is now king. King David is king already for over 30 years. And then there's a terrible, there's a terrible um, drought in the land of Israel. For three years, there was no rain. So King David is trying to figure out, like, what, what do we do here? Like, what, what's, what's happening? What's the reasons? He tried to figure out, perhaps there are some sinners within the Jewish people. People are serving idols. He couldn't figure it out. Finally, he decided to ask God through asking the Urim Vetumim. So the, the Kayan God or the high priest, he wore a breastplate that had 12 stones with the names of the tribes in them. Inside the breastplate, there was like a, there was a piece of parchment that had the name of God. And there was a whole process of you know, the, the Kohen Godel would stand in front of the Holy Ark and the person asking the question would stand behind him. And the answer would come up through some of the, the letters kind of shining. They would, they would light up. And the Kohen Godel was able to decipher the letters and, and put together the message. The message came back to King David that the reason why the Jewish people are being punished with this severe drought is for two reasons. Number one, because King Saul, who was the king before King David, was not eulogized properly. Number two, because King Saul killed out, killed many Givoinim. Where did he kill Givoinim? So, 
To make a long story short, at a certain point during King Saul's reign, he wanted to kill King David. King David ran, and at one point he was um, hosted by the Kohanim, the priests in the city of Nov. Nov at that point was the place where the Mishkan was, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. The priests were hiding King, uh, King David. Someone sent message to King Saul that the priests were helping King David. And as a result, King Saul killed out the entire city of Kohanim, of priests. It was, a, it was a serious disaster. What's this got to do with the Givoinim? The Givoinim lived around Noiv. And they received all their money, all their sustenance from serving the Kayanim, the priests that were in Noiv. Now that there's no more city of Noiv, no more Kayanim, many of the Givoinim died as a result of not, be, of not getting their sustenance from the Kayanim. Whatever, it was, it was a serious crisis. In fact, the, the Gemara asks, one second. So the, the, the I say, the the fact that the Jewish people don't have rain for three years is because they didn't eulogize Saul properly, which shows that Saul is from the greatest tzaddikim, and also at the same time because because of a sin of Saul. So the Talmud says, yeah, that you know God is able to handle both things together. Whatever that was. So King David now has his miss, his work cut out for him. He has to arrange rain back, you know, for the Jewish people. So he has to take care of these two problems. So he said, look, with regard to eulogizing Saul. It's already after 12 months after his death, and it's improper to eulogize, so that's kind of, you know, that's water under the bridge. However, let's deal with the Givainim. Let's, uh, let's you know, let, let's have a talk with them, and, and they should forgive King Saul, and uh, okay, then everyone's going to be fine. So he calls in representatives of the Givainim. In fact, no, he didn't, he spoke to each one separately. He had a whole conversation, but he, he brought in all the Givainim, and he tried, and he, and he said, what can, what can I do in order that you should, I say, forgive King Saul for what he did. Uh, and at that point, where there's going to be rain for the Jewish people. So they said, look, we don't want money. We don't want anything. The only thing we want is to, is to have seven of Saul's descendants handed over to us, and we're going to hang them. That's going to be our revenge, and that's what's going to placate us. So King David was like, really? Like that? That's what you want? A pound of flesh? That, that's what you want? So uh, they said, yeah. And he offered them the world. They said, no, only seven of King Saul's descendants. We want their blood. King David had no choice. I mean, there's no rain already for three years. It's a real disaster. It's a national disaster. And, and, and the whole continuation of the story, whatever, God was very involved in choosing which one of Saul's descendants are going to be killed. However, however, King David at that point said the following. He said, you guys are low lives. In fact, you guys are such low lives, even though you guys converted 300 years ago to Judaism, apparently nothing about Judaism rubbed off on you. And he said, every Jew has three natural, innate traits. Uh, mercy, benevolence, and shame. And you don't have that. And therefore, King David made a decree that no one should marry into this family, into this group, into the Nesinim. He didn't say they're not Jewish, they're Jewish. But apparently, something's wrong with their, with their Jewish identity. Which is a very fascinating concept here. What's King David saying? What is Halacha declaring? The fact that a Jew is benevolent, that's just basic Jewish instinct. You don't get credit for that. If you're Jewish, that's what's expected of you. If you don't have that, we've got a problem. And if you don't have that to the point 
that 30 years after the crisis you're going to demand blood? You're still Jewish, because, yeah, but you obviously are not really part of this family. Because this family, this is what has to come naturally to them. This is what King David said. All right, so what's Al-Tarab saying? He says, you're all proud of yourself that you're doing such wonderful things. You're doing chesed, you're doing tzedakah. You're doing... That's great. That is great. And continue to do so. And you know what? I'll give you credit for doing so. But, ju- but just remember something. That's, you get credit for that just like a human being gets credit for eating cooked food instead of raw meat. All right? Now that's, that, that's pretty much what we're talking about here. You get as much credit for that as a human being using a fork and knife instead of, instead of eating with his mouth from, from a trough. Animals eat from a trough. A human being eats from a plate, a fork and a knife. Oh. So now what's the question? The question is, Rebbe, I mean, I'm doing so much chesed. Why, why are you demanding more from us? And the answer is, yes, that's very good. But you have to understand that that chesed is coming from a place that didn't need too much work. By the way, you'll say, but I'm, I'm sacrificing so much for this chesed. That's great. Guess what? This is a natural Jewish trait to be able to sacrifice for another person. Yeah. This comes natural to you, my friends. Don't reject it. Hold on to it because this is actually key to your identity. Because the Altarba continues to say a very fascinating thing. It says, why is it that, that the, the, King David, in other words, like this, a, pers- a person's connection to Judaism cannot be judged by what's going on internally, right? If, if someone makes the commitment to keep all 613 mitzvot and they go through the process properly, they do the do and don't the don'ts, they're Jewish. Boom, that's it. And King David didn't say that the Nesinim are not Jews. You can't do such a thing. They're Jewish. But what did he say? He said, don't marry into this family because apparently, apparently something vital to Jewish identity is missing there. Givoinim, no one said that they were tzaddikim. And by the way, of all the Jewish people who said they were also tzaddikim. And King David was not expecting them to be tzaddikim. He was expecting them to be just basic, natural, regular Jews. Because this type of trait should come naturally to a Jew. Why is that? Because even though the nefesh of Bahamis, the animal soul, comes from klipa, in klipa itself, there are two levels. We're going to learn more about this in chapter 6 and 7. But in Klippa, there are two levels. So what is Klippa? Klippa is the other side. That's the part of reality which God created, that it should hide godliness. So God is everywhere. God is also in Klippa. But God could be in certain areas of Klippa in such a way that you can't, you can't extract and reveal the godliness within it. It's so hidden, it's so, it's so uh, tied down, it's so imprisoned that it's not revealable. Then there's another level of klipa, which is called klipas noiga. Klipas noiga means to shine. And that inside this klipa, so even though it's klipa, however, there's goodness within it, which is much more easily extractable, much more easily revealable, etc. So like this. The nefesh is the animal soul <coughs> of the Jewish people, comes from klipas noiga. In Klippas Noiga, there is selfishness. And there's also a much easier ability to reveal selflessness, to reveal God that's, that's in there. Right, let's continue here. For in the case of Israel, this soul of the Klippa, 
is derived from Klipas Noiga, which also contains good. And what we mean good is transparent divinity. As it originates in the esoteric tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, was the first, that, that is like the, the, uh, the symbol of a mixture of good and evil, a mixture of selflessness and, sh- and selfishness. So even though this Nefesh Bahamis, this animal soul of the Jewish people, is essentially the soul that, 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 that makes your body live, which that itself is already an expression of self-awareness. And it's also a place from where all of your negative character traits come from, anger and haughtiness and frivolity and depression and all of that. Indulgence, all of that comes from there. But it could also be, and it is, the source for many of the good character traits that you have. Chesed, doing kindness, and doing it selflessly, being willing to sacrifice for it, etc., without getting any gain, etc. Yeah, that, that all comes from the Nefesh Bahamis. Differently than what you will find in the souls of the nations of the world. So he says, the souls of the nations of the world, however, emanate from the other unclean klipot, which contain no good whatsoever, as is written in Eitz Chaim, Portal 49, Chapter 3, that all the good that the nations do is done from selfish motives. Well, what is, what is, okay, and so the Gemara comments on the verse, the kindness of the nations is sin, that all the charity and kindness done by the nations of the world is only for their self-glorification and so on. What's he saying here? There's actually a quote from the Talmud which speaks about Nebuchadnezzar. Ever heard the name Nebuchadnezzar? He was the Babylonian king that destroyed the first holy temple. Now this king had some, he was a smart guy, and he had Jewish advisors. And Daniel was one of them. Daniel was a Jewish advisor. So at one point, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he had a vision, and he called over Daniel, and Daniel basically told him that the message in the dream is that... uh, your, your, your kingdom is going to stop at a certain point. Whatever, you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your sovereignty. So he said, so what can I do to just, you know, uh, push it off? So he said, give tzedakah, give charity. And Nebuchadnezzar did tremendous charity. Gave a lot of charity to the, to the poor people, of the Jewish people, etc. And it pushed off the inevitable for about three years. Nebuchadnezzar did charity. Why did he do charity? For himself. In order to move things forward? Yep. So what, what's Al Tarba saying over here? You're going to have, in other words, the, 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 the animal soul of, the Jew, of a Jew comes from a place of Klipas Noiga. And that differentiates the Jew from most of the Gentiles, which their uh, Nefesh Abahamish, their animal soul, comes from Shalosh Klipas Atmeis, the three very unclean Klipot, which they're only capable of doing good things if it's going to benefit them. Interestingly, the Tzemach Tzedek writes and he clarifies and he says, that there are Jew, there are non-Jews that are what's called Hasidei Umisailam, the righteous Gentiles. If they keep the seven Noahide laws, the righteous Gentiles, and they're going to go to Olam Abba, etc. And so he says, so such a Gentile obviously has a Nefesh Abahamis, has an animal soul from Klipat Noga. What's the Altarebbe trying to point out over here? What he's saying is, if a Jew finds within himself, he's impressed with his ability to do chesed, with, with sacrifice, is willing to do things without demanding any type of credit or benefit or anything like that. You know what the Altar says? That just means you're Jewish. That doesn't mean you're serving God. That doesn't mean you have to work on yourself. That just meant you have to tap into your natural instincts. That's it. Um, 
you know, it's, it's easy to get distracted and say, one second, the Alter Rebbe is just, you know, bashing the, the Goyim, like, what, what's going on over here? So interestingly, um, when the Alter Rebbe was arrested and imprisoned, two years after the Tanya was published, so he was there for 53 days for the 53 chapters of Tanya, so it happened to be, everything is uh, divinely, so they asked him a lot of questions. The, the, I say the Russian scholars and, and officers right, they asked him a lot of questions about the teachings of Hasidus and he answered all of them brilliantly finally they asked him about this, these lines in Tanya what, what, what does it mean that you write over here that all the good that the, that the nations do is for their own benefit so the Altarabba looked at them and smiled he smiled and that was that and they didn't, they didn't pursue it further so it was explained. Well, what was the smile? The Altarabba basically was saying like this. You asked me a lot of questions, and I answered you brilliantly. I proved to you that I know what I'm saying. You really want me to talk about this? <laughs> you really want me to... So they, they kind of said, okay, let, let's just leave it at that. What's Altarabba saying over here in Tanya? The saying is like this. When you talk about the nefesh of Hamis, the animal soul, so you have two types, and the animal soul is capable of doing tremendous good. And that animal soul is found naturally by every Jew. By those that are not Jewish, there are those that will have it, those that won't have it. But the fact of the matter is, what you need to know as a Jew learning Tanya and deciding, do I want to embark on this journey? Do I need to embark on this journey? Al-Tarebbe says, the fact that you're going to find within yourself that natural goodness, that's because you're a Jewish species. Boom, you're done. You're not a Bainini yet. You haven't achieved anything yet. We're not putting it down. We're just putting it in its place. Putting it in its context. And in fact, if you'll tap into your natural instincts and you won't be able to find within yourself the ability to do chesed with sacrifice, you know what we're going to say? Uh, are you Jewish? Like, <laughs> are, you really, are you really part of this nation? This is so integral to your identity as a Jew. It's got nothing to do with your hard work. Say, Rebbe, is it really possible to do chesed above and beyond? Says, yeah, of course. In fact, when a Jew works on himself and he learns chesedus and he's going to start to view the world from the way chesedus teaches a Jew to view the world, the chesed is going to be on an entirely different level. The chesed is going to be infused with godliness, with a divine energy, with a divine perspective. That's already for later on, once we start to learn. But... But this, so, so in other words, that's why we, that's what we need to know about about the nefesh of Bahamas, about the animal soul. Number one, that it's divine. Definitely, it's divine. However, it's that divinity that God set up that it should be klipa, that it should be the peel, the shell, that which hides divinity, that which gives us self awareness. It gives us life. It gives us our bad character traits are good character traits but all of that is part of that soul and when we're born we're naturally in tune with that soul that's the soul that's animating us that's the soul that we are inter interfacing with all the time then in chapter 2 he says the second soul it's a whole different story that second soul even though it's always there by a Jew it's typically in the background, typically on sleep mode. 
So it's, it's not, you're not typically interfacing with it. And now we're going to have to understand what exactly is that soul? How does it function? And how do we wake it up? How do we start living our life with that soul instead of this soul? It's not that we're going to reject our Nafesh Bahamas. We're never getting rid of it. If you get rid of the Nafesh Bahamas, you know what happens? You die. You die. The question is, will the Nefesh Alekis, the divine soul, will it take control of the Nefesh Bahamas? Will it take the Nefesh Bahamas on its train? So we have a few minutes. Let's start. Um, what, yeah, is sure, sure, sure. Or is it... No, we started it. Uh, yeah, we started with this thing about the compassion, generosity. I have my sign way behind. I don't know. I remember that last week we, we spoke about uh, depression. Remember we spoke about depression at the end of the class? That depression comes from the four different elements, right? Depression must come from the dirt. Mm-hmm. We can go back if you'd like. No, it's fine. Okay. Are you also in the... I, I'm in the... In the page four, like in the four, right yeah. side in the, yeah. middle, in the middle. I don't know. I'm going to have to send you the recording because of the other ones. You weren't sleeping here. You did send me the recording. You had a question, yes. Yeah. But the thing is, you said you probably want questions about the kibonites out there. The, the kibonites, yeah. So, Joshua, so once they, you said they came as a farce anyway to do this thing that they were going to convert and they were actually Canaanites. They didn't really mean what, so now they're Jewish because they converted and all. How did they end up? Why would they be trusted? They weren't trusted at the beginning. How would they be trusted to become serfs to do this important job of helping out? When you said that, I thought, wow, they didn't end up so bad. Like, they're being, you know what I'm asking? Like, like they could have gone there and. So you're, you're asking a question on Joshua. If Joshua, if these Gibbonites came and they were, as you say, they, they, they weren't trustworthy in the beginning, so how could he trust them to be the water carriers and the wood choppers? For the Holy Temple. I mean, for the Holy Temple, about, right. Like, for somebody's garden or something. So, so here's, I mean, a surf is a surf, right? So the guy that chops, chops firewood, they don't have to have any type of uh, major clearance, security clearance, right? It's wood. If the guy's working in the factory where they were putting together the bombs, yeah, you have to make sure you have trustworthy people because, or, or they're the ones that are folding the parachutes, you have to have trustworthy people. But wood and water, they, they come, they bring it in, the client looks at the wood, it's all good. Right? So in other words, we call it in Israel, koach adam. You know, you just need to have uh, people that are physical, physical laborers. For that, you just have to have, they say, the lowest of the low. Okay. That's essentially what Joshua said. He said, you guys came, you're a bunch of low lives, so you're going to be the lowest. That's what, that's, that's what their, their, their station is going to be forever. And apparently for 300 years, Jews were marrying them or whatever. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened over there. But at that point, when the fact that they weren't able to show any type of expression of, of uh, compassion. We're talking about 30 years after the crisis. So so how, how are you going to be appeased by killing people? You see, there's a drought. The drought doesn't help you either. So so Jews who are born Jewish who aren't in touch with this compassion and whatever, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a reason they don't... It's not natural. It doesn't. The, this natural thing doesn't come out of them? So Marvin is asking... You see Jews that are pretty bad, low lives, right? Right. If you see a Jew is stingy, right? So does that mean that? So 
you have to understand something. The Altareb is not saying that every Jew is going to be benevolent. Every Jew is going to do that, etc. Right? What he's saying is that every Jew should be able to find within themselves. Let's put it this way. If a Jew is benevolent, know that that has nothing to do with the divine soul. It's got everything to do with his animal soul. Right. So that's, that's it. So there, there's these other people, they just haven't broken into the shell. They're in that part. I don't know if it's... Let's place. put it this way. We're talk, you have to understand, in the story with King David and the Givonites, it's three years of drought. The king himself is asking, you know, and, and all you're able to come up with is that we need to have... And also, he, he separated each one of them. It's interesting. He didn't, he didn't, they didn't come as a team and they said, oh, right. he took each one into a room and he asked them to forgive. And each one of them said, no, we want blood. We want blood. Said, you guys are so low. Usually you divide and conquer. You're able to break a person. That's it. And what's he asking for already? You're going to gain if this drought ends. Right? The drought isn't good for the Givenites either. No. On principle, we have to blood for blood. That doesn't work. What's the problem with a pound of flesh? Right? Shakespeare. Right? Why is the Jew vilified? Because he doesn't want money. Doesn't He wants a pound of flesh. You're such a low life. See, even... Even the, the the Christians in Venice were appalled, right? That's why I don't believe the story ever happened. But the point is, well, how is it set up? What is it? A person that can only demand a pound of flesh, that's like, <laughs> that's the lowest of the low, right? So essentially, we're not saying here that only Jews could do good and no one else could do good. What we're saying is if the Jew does good, hey, my friend, don't get too excited about yourself. You still have a long way to go. Because you're in touch with that same exact element that is hungry and therefore you eat, and that same element that wants to indulge and wants to, and gets angry, that same element is the source for where your selfless chesed comes from too. That's it. So to to receive your um, Jewish soul, you need to really tap into it, or it's almost automatically. Every Jew has every Jew has the Jewish soul. The yeah, question is if you're in touch with it. Okay, so... Oh, just get in touch with it. First, you have to really know that it's there. Huh? So you really need to make an effort to get in touch with this. It's not like automatically part of your existence. Exactly. Amit, yes. It, it, Amit is saying that it's not something that comes automatic. No, it doesn't come automatic. A person can live his entire life learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, and never say hello to the nefesh of the kiss, to the, to the Jewish soul. To the, the divine soul. Possibility. There are some times where it, it's forced out into the open. When a Jew is forced to make a choice. Right? Judaism will be killed. And if a Jew is willing to be killed, hey, that, that's not the nefesh, that's not the animal soul. <laughs> that doesn't come from the survival soul. Huh? Right. That comes from the nefesh of the kids. Exactly. Animals all want, want perseverance. That's why any Jew that is killed al kiddush Hashem for the sanctification of God's name, any Jew that was killed because they made the choice they're going to remain a Jew and not convert, automatically they're a Kaddish, they're the holiest, they're the greatest. What happened? What are you getting so excited about? Ah, the nefesh of the kids, the godly soul, boom, came out. There's, we're talking, I'm sorry, just, we're talking about compassion and generosity. I'm going to get killed if I bow to the idol. What's going to do with compassion and generosity? I'm asking because we're seeing, are we seeing, are we in touch with that part of the soul. I thought that's what if someone is going to be killed not to bow down to the idol, then they're obviously getting in touch with the second soul. Right. That yeah, you can't find in the first soul. The yeah, second soul. Well, I'm gonna bow so I can not get killed. And then your animal, animal soul. Right. Right. 
And by the way, you can't be blamed for bowing to the idol and not being killed. Can't be judged. Self-perseverance. That's why when Jewish when, when this happened in history and Jews did convert, many of the Jewish leaders specifically welcomed them back in. During the Inquisition. The Inquisition or all, all the other times. There's a lot of times that there were Jews that did convert. But they weren't banished from Judaism. You can't blame someone for doing that. It's God's business. I say, but God is going. If God judges them, definitely, definitely, they could, they could. But it's, that's obviously not. That's not sanctioned. Yeah, that's not sanctioned. Judaism demands that if a person is, you know, presented with a choice, they have to be willing to kill themselves and not and not do it. Right? It's not just about idolatry. It's about adultery and uh, and, and murder as well. Right. right. There are certain demands. There are certain. Uh... Anyway, so the. What we're walking away from chapter one is, boy, do we need Tanya. Because we haven't even started scratching the surface of what it means to serve God. And once we start to scratch the surface, then we can start to realize how we actually can serve God. And how every moment could be a moment, it could be in the service of God. But for that, we have to understand what is the Nefesh Kiss, what is the divine soul, how does it operate, what is the battle that's raging within us. And uh, why are we here to fight that battle? Well, that's I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, next week we go on to chapter two. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. And, Thank you very uh, much.